You're listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast, the podcast where we focus exclusively on all things local to the DMV area. Local investors, local knowledge, local experts. Our journey starts now. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to this week's episode of the DC Real Estate Podcast. My name is Russell Brazil. I'm an associate broker with Arlo Real Estate. I'm back. And Jack's back after recovering from COVID. COVID. Uh And we're really excited. We got a special guest this week. We've got Sarah Frank, who's joining our sales team. Um, And she lives in the Canton neighborhood of Baltimore. And we're really excited to bring her on board and have her as a guest today. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. So one of the things I think is really cool with Sarah is, um, so I've done just about everything we can do in real estate, sales or investing, and Sarah's actually done something that I have never done on the sales side or the investing side, and that is complete an FHA 203K loan. Yeah, it was really fun. I think it's a little known fact in real estate. I think people know a lot about FHA, but the 203K is kind of the secret little arm that could be really effective if you know how to use it properly, but... It's a lot of red tape. It was a whole process, so we can kind of... Yeah, so if you don't know what the FHA 203K loan is, it is a rehab loan where you can borrow not just to purchase the property, but to rehab the property as well. Yes, and it's definitely the FHA. You have obviously more regulations than a conventional mortgage, but the 203K is kind of a level above that. You have to have a vetted contractor. You have to have a 203K consultant. You have stricter timelines. The closing costs are higher, but if you use it in the right market, it can be a really powerful tool to do if you want to do a burr. Obviously, it's not a traditional burr. You have to live in the property, same as any FHA, um, but long-term, it can be a really good strategy. And it really makes your cash your cash on cash return almost infinite, right? So if you're only putting 3.5% down, Almost any equity you get out of it is going to end up being, you know, if you, what did you end up paying out of pocket for that? Like $10,000. So if you can create 10 grand of equity, you have a 100% return on investment. That's something, you know, we just you don't get when you're putting 20% down on a rehab. That 3.5% with a 2 or 3K, your cash on cash returns can be infinitely higher than you would be with a conventional mortgage or a conventional 2 or 3K loan. That's definitely true. The thing to consider, though, is when you come to your monthly payment, you're going to have PMI and it's going to be hefty. And so if you can refinance earlier, the better, because you can maybe if you add enough value through the rehab, you can refinance, get rid of that PMI. But you have to be creative in the value that you add so that when you're renting by the room or whatever you choose to do, you can cover as much of the monthly payment as possible. Otherwise, you're not going to cash flow at all. Yeah. So tell us what the numbers looked like on this property. How much did you pay for it? How much did the rehab cost? Sure. So I'll, I'm going to round everything, make yeah. it easy. I want to say 250 was the, the purchase price. It was a three-level uh, row home, I guess would be the technical. It's not a townhouse. It's a row home in Canton. It was... Technically one bedroom. The basement was empty. It did have the the legal ceiling height in the basement, which was something I was looking for and a walkout. Um, so I was able to turn the basement into its own little studio apartment. Upstairs was one bedroom that had a closet. It met the legal requirements. And then a, a smaller bedroom that I'm now using to rent to someone else's bedroom. But we had to add like a closet in there. And there's now two two bathrooms up there. So it's two bed, two bath upstairs. And then the basement is now a studio. So to do that, I had to turn what was a one bed, one and a half bath into a, what is now a three bed, three bath, which was about 70 grand in renovations. 
And then once you add those, you obviously finance both of that, the acquisition and the renovation costs in the 203K. I want to say it ended up being 25 total, 25 grand in closing costs plus down payment. We were able to use a seller subsidy to cover a lot of that. I think we used the full 6% seller subsidy. And then I was able to roll the first couple payments of the actual mortgage into the loan as well, which was great because it took about five months to do the renovation. So I wasn't paying on that's the really house. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So that's a huge benefit of doing the 203K versus doing an out-of-pocket renovation is that you're able to roll those however long the house is not habitable into the purchase price. Yeah, that's fascinating. That's really I, interesting. I had no idea you could do that. Is there a cap? Yes. If it was a year you wouldn't have to pay? Is there a cap on how long? So the 203K consultant is who comes into play on that. They're the one who goes in and says, okay, this is – because they were ripping up a lot of walls and stuff in there, it wouldn't have been safe for me to be living there anyway. They're the ones who come in and say, okay, after this amount of time, it'll be safe for you to move in. So work with your mortgage company six months, eight months, however long, depending on the scale of the renovation. So for me, it was about almost five months. They let me, I didn't live there because they were doing the renovations, but I didn't make a payment either, which was great. And that just gets rolled into your principal. But that over 30 years is like, you know, Nothing. A, a blip. And right. it makes it's a huge nothing. difference, especially as a young investor and you're short on cash. It makes a huge difference uh, for you because that's thousands and thousands of dollars in those first couple of months that you'd be spending and not getting any uh, rental income. Super, super cool. So so it was about a 250 purchase price, 70000 in renovations. What would you say you sort of estimate of value is on the back end of that? So it's interesting because... I'm going to say roughly, we're hoping around 400 right now, but I have additional plans to add like the roof deck and all that. I didn't end up doing that because of the lumber prices that were going on at the time I was doing the renovation. That'll probably bump it up another 15 grand. People really want those roof decks in Baltimore and where I'm at, it'll actually be a really good view. It's kind of Canton kind of slopes up as you're going north. So the higher you are in Canton, the better view you get. Yeah, almost everywhere in Canton, because of those big hills, no matter where you are, almost always has a good view of the water. Yes. Yeah. So unless, just, your roof, unless your neighbor has a better roof deck yeah. with a pergola or <laughs> just something. Just keep going higher and higher. Until, right, right. But so just to be clear, Sarah put 10 grand down out of pocket, and she's created nearly 100 grand of equity for, for 10 grand out of pocket. That is a, yes. what is it, a 1,000% return on investment? Yeah, so... We're actually at about th- uh, 320, 80 grand created out of 10,000. So oh, that's uh, eight, 4, 800, 800, 900% uh, return. It's pretty, pretty good. Pretty, pretty awesome. Pretty good. I don't do that on my flips. <laughs> it is. The trade off is that my monthly payment is higher than I want it to be. I think it's like 2,200, but the PMI is like 300 of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, once I'm able to refinance again, I'm not sure when I'm going to do that. Uh, and obviously that'll go down by a lot and then I can rent it out. But what I've done, it's not a legal two, two unit, obviously. Correct. It's a single family, but the basement operates functionally as a studio. So I'm renting that on Airbnb, which is paying pretty much the whole mortgage payment, which is nice right now. Um, but if I were to like, I don't know what that does to value. I haven't really done the math on that when it comes to refinancing. Yeah, I think on the refinance, it won't really bring in too much value. But what, like you said, it's covering majority of your payment, which is the real killer. And definitely when we're looking at the difference between DC and Baltimore, as as you mentioned, you're doing Airbnb there. Airbnb is one of the huge differences. Um, DC is very anti-short-term rental. Um, in fact, DC area is 
in the midst of passing new regulations um, that they're getting ready to enforce. And um, at GCAR and DCAR, we're actually fighting um, some of these regulations because they want to make it so that um, you can only do an Airbnb in D.C. if the owner lives in the property in what it seems like a normal logical thing is a lot of people want to live in the smaller unit and rent out the upstairs. Well, DCRA is trying to say that the primary unit has to be where the owner lives and they can't do downstairs. So very anti Airbnb in DC. Baltimore is much more open to that though. Yeah. You can have one uh, residence. It's called hosted and unhosted units. You can have one hosted unit, meaning not your primary residence, but I believe it's still, it can't be like a traditional vacation rental. There's some more caveats to that, but if it's hosted in your own home, you can, you can, you know, if it's multifamily. So if I bought a five unit, I lived in one, I could legally host all the other ones. Um, And is there any restrictions on the amount of days you can do it or anything in Baltimore? I think for the, well, it depends if it's not the, which one, which category falls into. Exactly. Exactly. So mine, there's no restriction. Like I don't have to live there for X number of days just because in my primary residence. And so what, uh, what amount of rent have you been averaging sort of on your, um, on this rental? So it's winter time. So obviously it's going to be lower than in the summer, but I'm also changing my strategy based on the time of year. Right now I have a nurse in there who's in there for like two months. That is about $1,700 a month um, in just rent. Yeah. And then obviously there's cleaning fees and things like that. Um, So that's great for now because I don't feel like turning the unit. There's not that many people coming for conferences and stuff like that during the winter. So as it gets warmer, I'm going to host her for these two months till the end of March. And then I'm trying to get another nurse in there um, from March through April. And then I'm going to go to short term three days at a time because that's really how you make the money because you're getting the cleaning fees and the short term stay fees. Um, Do you have an idea of what you think you're going to start getting when you do the... um Probably north of 2,500 when we start doing the turns because you're going to have people come in the weekends, a couple people come in during the weeks for conferences. We're booked out a lot, almost to July. I'm, I'm almost not letting it. I've changed my parameters so that I can't book it way far out because I don't want to be committed to something and then you know have, it, have to change my strategy again. Yeah. So as it is right now, though, so you get about a $2,200 a month payment and this nurse is paying $1,700. Granted, there's other expenses, but for... The easiest math, you're only coming out of pocket $500 as is right now to pay your mortgage. And once we get to more of a the seasonal market in the spring and the summer, you're going um, to be cash flow positive on it while living there. And I have a my sister lives with me and she pays me rent for her room upstairs. Oh, how much is a sister paying? Uh, it's a good house hack. Yeah. Was, yeah. And it's numbers. great living with your sister, right? Cause we can have a whole, like we could be throwing things at each other one minute and then be like, Hey, you want to get ramen or something? To is that not something it? you would normally take in a tenant? If they were throwing uh, things at well, you? normally with roommates, you just don't talk about it. And then it just blows up in a like text conversation and then you never talk again, you know? So it's great with your sister. You can like have physical art. Right, so if, if you're listening, write this down. If you can get a sibling to live with you, you'll have physical altercations and be okay. <laughs> and I assume it's easier to collect rent or maybe not. Maybe it's harder. No. And we're helping her. So I think maybe you guys have seen on my Instagram, the condo we're renting out down in St. Mary's County. Mm-hmm. That's her. That, that was her primary residence. She got a USDA loan on that like a few years ago. Yeah. Cause we're, we're from the yeehaw. Yeah. So. <laughs> US, <laughs> USDA country. Yeah. Only where I live, would you qualify for a USDA loan on a condo? <laughs> yeah. So we're renting that out. She's going to make, 
pretty good cash flow on that. She bought it a few years ago, rents it to like some active duty military people. And then she's going to come move up with me. She's going to go from spending like 1300 bucks a month on her mortgage plus HOA to paying me like 700 bucks utilities included in Baltimore. So she's pretty happy with that. Yeah, this so is one of the best and like the amount of different things you have going on the Airbnb, the sister, like two or three K the FHA. This is like every different strategy put together. This is a house hack with an Airbnb with a, with a rehab, with a two or three K. That's why I called it like a land hack sort of. I don't know if you guys, I listened to a bigger pockets episode a few months ago of this guy who just like buys plots of land and he does like the yurts and the air streams. Like he just creates multiple different streams of, idea. of income from land. And his idea is like, it's not the value of the land. It's like what you put on the land. He's getting people to come from the city to this podunk place to glamp. You know, it's like marketing it differently. But I was like, I need to create revenue in as many ways as possible because the monthly payment's really high. Yeah. So just even just with with the Airbnb and your sister, it's seventeen hundred and seven hundred. Um, granted, always other expenses. Just really easy math here. You're actually producing more than your actual payment on the property. Yes, which was you know your first investment. I think your idea is just to, even if you're not cash flowing, you want to reduce your monthly payment you're making, which is what I tried to do in DC for, for two years. Anyone listening, I tried, to, I promise you, I tried to buy something in DC for like a year and a half. I was even under contract on a condo and I, and I dropped out like the last few days. This was right as COVID was starting. So we didn't know that it was going to be like this crazy buying rush. I was like, yeah. it will actually, it would have really sucked if I had bought that condo. Yeah, the condo market in DC <laughs> it is. really tanked. Condo market's definitely tanked since um, Yeah, it was COVID. in DuPont Circle, like amazing location. Like it would have been awful. Yeah. Was it like a studio or one bedroom? It was a one bedroom. Yeah, yeah, that's like, I think probably like the area. I think it'd be a lot better in Baltimore, probably the area that's the Yeah, the, the studio is one bedrooms in downtown. Yeah, it's a great time to buy a studio or one bedroom condo in DC right now because the prices have dropped so precipitously. So I would expect a bounce back, but buying right at the beginning of COVID would be the worst time in the last decade to so buy instinct. a one bedroom condo. Instinct. And I felt so bad for my agent at the time. Cause I pulled out like literally days before closing, uh, Charlie shout out, but I stick, I stuck with him. He ended up helping me buy the house in Baltimore. I call, I was like, I promise you one day I can call <laughs> you and we will buy a house. So and if it ever like, happens right. to you, you can't be mad. Exactly. Exactly. This happens to you. Exactly. It's, it definitely changed my outlook when coming into like getting my license. I was like, I totally understand now. So if you're a client who's not that sure they're going to buy, you should talk to Sarah. Me and Russell will not understand it as well. Yeah. And, and he was so great about it because he was like, I totally like, listen, yeah. I totally understand why you wouldn't want to buy this, especially <laughs> right now. Like it's such a weird time, but I felt, I felt yeah. really bad. And obviously no one knew what society was going to be like put aside real estate. I mean, you didn't know. Well, yeah, we anything. thought the world was ending. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I well, in those first couple months, like, the lockdowns, every, yeah. everything was closed. A lot you of didn't know if you get it, you know, you get some package and you die. Everybody was well, getting laid people, off. People, yeah. especially young 20s, like my age, were moving home. Yeah. So I was like, my friends are all going to be at home saving money. I yeah. did end up moving home for a few months, which was great. But I was like, I'm going to be trapped in DuPont Circle in my like West Elm Death Star, just like crying <laughs> and not being able to make Stout my Death payments. Star. And yeah, I just had a complete... And really, for, for a year there... Um, these cool hit neighborhoods in DC. One of the reasons you li- live there is because you're walkable to all the restaurants and the bars. Well, they were all shut down for, you know, better part of a year. Um, so suddenly you're paying a premium to live in that very, very tiny space. But the reason you're paying that premium doesn't exist anymore. I mean, even last week I was at DuPont circle, went to a restaurant with me and my friend. We, it was a Monday night. Granted 
we were the only two people in the entire restaurant. Yeah. So it's still pretty. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it's the weather, uh, last summer, fall, spring, it, everything was hot. That's and true. and That's I think, I true. think we'd, we have a lot of pent up energy, especially, um, people want to be in the outdoor, uh, seating areas in yes, DC with sure, COVID. Sure. So I remember going to multiple outdoor restaurants and beer gardens and everything was like hopping last that, spring. That, they that, shut that down true. like all of 18th street and Admo and a bunch of other spots yeah. in the city to create more. I think it was so funny when it got colder and they had created these like elaborate outdoor structures yeah. that were literally just indoor dining <laughs> yes. outside with yes. the plastic sheets. It's like you've yeah. created a COVID tent outdoors. <laughs> I actually read somewhere. I think that those were actually something about the plastic were more unsafe than if you just dined inside. It's like a Petri dish. Yeah. That it was like, those were like the worst possible yeah. thing you could have. Yeah. So you ended up in Baltimore and you actually ended up in one of the coolest neighborhoods in Baltimore. You bought in Canton. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just, uh, were you targeting Canton or were you targeting certain neighborhoods? Um, so how'd you end up in Canton? So yeah, for Fed Hill can't, so I would love to go to one of the more like appreciating neighborhoods. I'm a single young woman, you know, being a landlord. Like I, I was like, I'm going to Canton, I'm going to lower Fells Point or I'm going to Fed Hill. Like I just had to be smart in the safety. Like Baltimore can be really hit or miss, yeah. but there are some really amazing parts of Baltimore like Canton. Um, and it came down to parking. I'm going to be honest. I had a little bit of PTSD from parking in, in a DC. So I went from Columbia Heights to Canton now where you can just park anywhere. It's fantastic. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, like I, Federal Hill and Lucas Point, super, super cool neighborhoods, but um, parking is a real pain in the ass over there. It is it really, and you, you're like, whatever, like it's fine. Everyone's doing it. But when you have to walk eight blocks to get to your, like to get to your house, it's, it's really bad, especially in the winter. And I actually give the parking spot at my house to the Airbnb people. And I still have no problem finding parking. Yeah, Canton's really cool. It's like a hip neighborhood, but it's also kind of suburban-ish, kind of. It's- well, you're right by the exit to get to 95. Yeah. So it's so, it's so easy. Like I just get, well, I don't have an easy pass yet and it's, bankrupting me it's like six dollars i have to i have been dragging my feet on it but you're right off the, the exit hop on and off and they have like the big shopping center with the harris teeter and the target and that's something they don't have in fed fed i don't even know if they have grocery stores and that sound really ignorant saying that, but they <laughs> the, do there they is do. They do, but they're not east like fort i can picture um i don't remember what grocery store it is but on east fort ave there is a grocery store right but parking's a pain like it's not the same as there's yeah. sort of like you said the suburban feel to yeah. canton like you you feel like you're in fed hill the row houses and the the charm and the vibe of it but you're not right in the city you don't have to worry about kind of that spillover from inner harbor and you have the more like smaller boutique shops and there's more of like a family vibe. It has a little like upper Northwest feel where it's like kind of somewhat urban, but there's like, it's definitely more relaxed. It kind of feels like upper Northwest at, you know, a 10th of the price or whatever. Yeah. The thing you mentioned that uh, really, um, I didn't really think about now is the easy access to the highway there. Right. So some of these more Northern, um, neighborhoods like Charles village or Mount Vernon, yeah. they're really pains to get in, in and out of because after you get off the highway, it's another 20 minutes to the neighborhood. Yeah. Right. And so, um, federal Hill is right off the highway too, but, um, those, those Southern neighborhoods right on the water are easy access in and out of the city. So if you're commuting to, you know, another location, whether it's commute in Howard County and Arundel County, Annapolis, DC, it's a uh, much easier to get in and out of the city down there. And one thing I think we've talked about on the podcast before that I do like about Baltimore for actually for appreciation reasons, it is one of those areas that I think as remote work changes things, you know, people probably don't want to commute from Baltimore to D.C. five days a week. 
if you have to do it once a week, I mean, you're here. Um, it's not that bad. And I think that there could be people who find value in, I want to live in a hip urban area. As you were saying, they're priced out of D.C. Maybe they're still working in D.C., but it's only once or twice a week. I think that does change the value proposition to Baltimore. It's close enough that it, you can be there, that it's not too far to do occasionally, but I think it was always too far for people to go in five days a week. Yeah, and as you said, you went you went there partially because of the price, right? So it's literally half half the price or less of what D.C. costs. And the labor costs are a lot lower, too. Like, I don't think I would could have gotten that renovation at that price at all. Yeah, so you said you had gotten that done for seventy grand, and we got a we're renovating a row house right now in the Brentwood neighborhood and that's yeah 150 so it's more than double um and it's a pretty light rehab you know Um, i think it's probably similar in scope to what you did and you guys have definitely like nicer finishes and stuff like i didn't do new cabinets things like that really add up yeah they they certainly do but it's labor it's labor because the when you're ordering the cabinets, right, you're ordering them from a distributor off the internet. So, like, the price of the fi- granted, we're using nicer finishes because that's a flip, but the marginal cost too, right? Like, you're still putting. Well, yeah. if you didn't, usually you're putting something in, but but it, it's definitely the labor, right? So, like a some contractor, some random laborer contractor in Baltimore is good with making seventy grand a year. Your contractor in DC, they got to make one hundred and fifty, one hundred and seventy five, two hundred thousand dollars a year to live where they're living. So they are that much more expensive. Right. So like, yeah, if you were looking to buy something for two fifty in DC, you're looking at basically studios or like maybe get a two bedroom condo east of the river. Right. I mean, that's what you're looking at. at well, so yeah. The purchase price, interestingly enough for that condo that I was going to buy before the pandemic, exact same purchase price as the now three bedroom house that I bought just like for scale. I mean, it's different times that I bought sure. them at, but same exact purchase price, pretty much. So you can triple your size for the same price. Yeah, and I think the monthly payment was very similar, even though I didn't have PMI or wouldn't have had PMI on the condo. But the condo fee adds on to that cost. Adds on to that, so you're almost at the same amount. And in fact, your property is appreciated a lot more than the condo has. In fact, the condo is probably but yeah, yeah. The condo is probably depreciated. Probably. Yeah. In that same time, yeah. Yeah. The difference, and I think Canton has appreciated a little bit in the time that you bought it's it. Definitely Canton's growing. definitely gone up. It, well, so with Fed Hill, it can only grow so much more. Fed Hill's always yep. going to be popping, you know, whatever. Yeah. People yeah. are going to want to live there, but Canton is definitely, you can still drive down a street and there's going to be five abandoned houses here or there. And that to me is just a sign that those are going to get bought up by these people with the we sell houses or we buy Maybe houses sign. And yeah, well, it's you can't go down a block without seeing a truck and people working and, and building. Yeah, and it feels like it's even pushing a little further east into Butchers Hill and Highland Town yeah. now. Um, that's sort of right. So it's right there in that natural path of progression, right? Um, sort of stalled at Canton, but seems to be pushing past Canton, which is going to be good, right? So as people get priced out of Federal Hill or Fells Point, and they still want to be the cool hip place. Canton's a great landing spot for that. Yeah, I suspect in the next five, six years, almost anything within a mile of Patterson Park is going to be gentrifying. Yeah, I don't know about the north side, but definitely south, south west, east. east. Um, there's some challenges on the north side there, but yeah. Yeah, there's like a two or three block buffer on the north side. And then and then it, yeah. then it gets to what we always talk about. Baltimore being block by block, right? So you're up there and right on the those first couple blocks, it's fine. But then it does change pretty drastically yeah. if you go a couple more blocks. Yeah. Yeah. There's like an Aldi joke. There's an Aldi like right at the 
northeast corner of Patterson Park, and we'll go there. We always joke, like, you don't go north of the Aldi. Like, <laughs> literally the other day, we were, like, loading the groceries in the back of the car, and my sister, like, goes to take the cart back, and this cop car, like, almost completely yeah. murks her, like, in the parking lot, and it's flying north, and we're like, you don't go north of the Aldi. It's the only city I've been to. I've been to a lot of cities where you can, like, accidentally, like, most places you have to actively try to go from a good area to a bad area, but you can, like, accidentally, oh, this was nice, then you go two blocks, and it's abandoned. Well, I have to say the same thing when I was living in Columbia Heights, yeah, Columbia would be, Heights and yeah. I lived like right by Meridian Hill Park, which yeah. is very nice. Like the property values are insane there. But shootings all the time, right? But yeah, right on like I was on Euclid Street. So like right a block north of me on Euclid and Fairmount or whatever. Constant, you know, do you follow like Popville on Twitter? Of course, yeah, of course. yeah, constant. We'd be like, is it fireworks? Yeah, that's the Popville is thing, right? Is it fire? Well, it's yeah. funny because that's, that's the Popville um, thing, like fireworks. It was never fireworks. Fun Morty and Hill Park is such a nice park now. When I when I moved to DC, um, Columbia Heights hadn't quite gentrified as much as it had. It was in the process of and like, but it would not have been uncommon to walk through Morty and Hill Park and find like used needles on the ground or used condoms on the ground. Um, you know, that was 15, 16 years ago, and it's definitely. Not like that at all now. Well, for the whole 14th Street corridor, I feel like I, when I told my dad I was moving to 14th Street, he was like, no, you're not. Because <laughs> <laughs> because of 14th Street, he remembers. Because he, like, he remembers like when, it like was the, light when it was the red light district. He's like, yeah. I'm almost 50 years old. My mommy still won't let me go to 14th Street. Like, I'm not, you're not allowed to live there. I was like, Dad, it's, he's like, I was like, Dad, there's a soul cycle. He was like, Although if he was following Popville, he probably would have said yeah. still no. Well, if my dad was on Twitter, the world would be. Actually, I think he might have. He might have a Twitter now. He's he's coming. He follows. Shout him out. Well, everyone can follow him and see. It's probably like Jerry, the chemist at Twitter or whatever. (laughs) Oh, we never, uh, you got it. I don't think we ever, did we ever tell her Instagram? If you want to follow her? Oh, I was going to say at the end, but yeah, if you are uh, definitely follow um, Sarah here, her her Instagram is. Blonde equity. It's a fitting name. (laughs) Yeah. Can't dye my hair anytime soon, but. This is actually on audio. She's a redhead. No. (laughs) Uh, one thing I wanted to dig into that um, we had talked about a little bit yesterday when we were out at a showing, um, I think this is always a good topic, particularly. For, um, uh, so I'd ask you if, if you'd run into any issues being a woman and dealing with contractors or anyone else. Um, and you had. Um, so I'd oh, love sure. to hear those stories. Oh, sure. Well, I was in like corporate real estate before this, yeah. which is a different. I'm just going to stick to the investor side yeah. because it's like going out on your own. I'm actually going to be on a podcast tomorrow. We're going to talk about something similar like imposter syndrome with your first renovation. Hmm. Not so much on the gender side, but uh, two or three Ks, you can only work with a contractor who does two or three Ks. They have to have some sort of licensure or training course. um, And basically the way a two or three K works is the contractor pays out of pocket and then they get reimbursed from, from the bank, whoever you're using through a draw process. Right. Um, reminds me i need to file my last <laughs> right to self need to pay victor for renovations um but you have to sign off on the draws and you do a walkthrough with your consultant bill was mine he's great um but you have to find the contractor first and not a lot of contractors want to do this kind of work it's not very yeah. common it's like a pain in the butt to do the licensure so finding one especially in the summer in baltimore when it was crazy. Like there wasn't a house that wasn't getting like a roof duck, roof deck done, um, or some sort of renovation. So I finally found a couple, I was down to like three and I think one of them didn't answer my calls. Like in the last phase, after they gave me a bid, 
the other guy, we got into a little bit of like a argument about, I don't know, the numbers just looked weird. And I don't know, I didn't know anything at this point. Yeah. Like, so I just had a feeling that they looked weird. And so with imposter syndrome, you're like, how much crap can I take from this person having not knowing anything? And this is pretty common when, you, yeah. when you're renovating a house for the first time, even the third, fourth, fifth time, you don't know what things cost, right? right. And so easy to get taken advantage of yeah easy especially and so we got we got into a little bit of a he started stonewalling me a little bit because i was like this doesn't can you just explain it i wasn't even saying this is inherently wrong what you're saying but can you just explain it to me and he was like well maybe your dad should come sit down like (laughs) oh my god he's like well are you like looking at my hands like if i'm married or something and he's like well maybe you're i was like did you see my dad (laughs) if i called my dad right now and asked him to show up and my dad would laugh my dad would die laughing he doesn't know jack about this kind of stuff and that's just like an instant stuff like that happens all the time but that was like really memorable to me because it's like everyone feels imposter syndrome when they're doing their first couple yeah for sure i definitely had that but it's just this added layer of crap you don't need you know you're like okay my dad doesn't care about this yeah like no one would ever say that to me or yeah yeah and it's just this like i think we had a conversation kind of about this the other day like anyone can like even you said something the other day like if you can feign confidence right and I, I'm great at feigning confidence, but it doesn't account for that added layer of people aren't just going to trust yeah. you as much. You have to you really, really like know your stuff more than like a man in the same position. You have to be able to defend yourself. But I didn't know anything. Like it's not like I had all this knowledge. Yeah, I mean, I've had the opposite experience. I didn't know anything, and I said stuff. People seem to think I was knew what I was talking about because, like, yeah. I think when you're case in point, like I would just say stuff. I don't know what I was talking about, and people. Let's get Jack's dad in here. Yeah. And um, I think this is a common thing that um, female investors run into, right, is a very uh, middle-aged white guy business, right? Um, And whether you're dealing with contractors or agents or lenders, um, sexism creeps into this quite a bit. Um, A lot of racism creeps into this industry as well, right? So uh, I think there's definitely – and like I've heard these challenges multiple, multiple times from many women, many people of color as well. One thing that I always have to remember, you know, I can get – like I've been to screen matches, not with Ray, but with another contractor. Well, Ray is amazing. Yeah, I've never, I've never yelled at Ray. But <laughs> I wish he'd come to Baltimore. I think he might, but that's he will for the right price, right? But he's still charging to DC prices. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, I had another contractor I got in a screaming match with once. I once had a dispute with. It's uh, another story with the guy, some city of Tacoma Park, and because I'm a guy, and probably you know, like a pretty big guy, I can get people to kind of back off. But I think if a woman does that, that ends up, you know, like looking worse, right? Like if I get to scream at someone, you're you're bossy. If I scream at someone, then at the end, we're good. We make up and everyone's on the same page. But like, you can't do that in the same way that I can. Oh yeah. You're a woman. You go in screaming. Everyone clears out. They're like, yeah. Whereas if I do that, people are like, you know what? Like you're fine. Like we'll, we'll figure it out. It's totally different. Like, cause that's been one of my strategies sometimes, but I don't think you could pull that off. No. Yeah. So I always feel like when I'm talking to, so every now and then I have a woman, woman contractor or a woman home inspector, and I always feel like they are top notch. And usually because they have to push themselves to be, yeah. they can't just be average good. They have to be yeah. over the top good in order to overcome these perceptions in the marketplace. Well, I, I feel like, and especially when it comes to things like podcasts and you can, there's a lot of room for like opinions and you're able to like kind of work in your own perspective. But as a woman, you can't like, you have to be facts and you have to have backup to the backup for the facts because you're going to get grilled. 
in a way that a man isn't going to get grilled. Yeah, Russell, so. stop grilling her. <laughs> and so I think that's a big, I know they talk about a lot on like the Bigger Pockets podcast is like what an inac- action, the consequence that an action has yeah. on your on your investing yeah. business. But for women, like getting over that hurdle of being comfortable, like I have a problem. I'm not patient at all. Like I'm an action, action, action person, which has its repercussions. Yes. But I feel the reason that a lot of women don't get started earlier or you know, go as hard is because you have to be 10 times more ready and more researched than the guy your age who's ready to just... Do you think that's actually true? Or do you think people should just kind of like, I don't know, but this like, should people do it anyway, even if they're not 10 times better? Would you recommend women that women try to, or should they just go ahead and do it and kind of do the same thing men do, which is just figure it out as they go? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what I did. I just did it. I just like, you know, but there's a consequence to that and that you're going to get grilled in a way that your male counterpart isn't no, going sure. to. I think everyone's like, that's not an opinion piece. Like that's pretty well no, known. That's 100% true. And I'm sure like, even you guys are very like socially aware. I'm sure you yes. do it unintentionally sometimes. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, to your point. Yeah, of course you should do it anyway, but it's not just the, um, it's not all you need to do is have fake the confidence. You know, that's not the only component. You also have to be ready for the, repercussions of faking confidence because some people men don't like it when you have confidence you have to be it's uh funny you say that because i we we had a situation on one of the uh bigger pockets facebook groups yesterday and um a female moderator had moderated some stuff on this guy and the guy just blew up in a way that he wouldn't uh, if it had been a male and like so we, we, we went to his Twitter and looked at some stuff and <laughs> it was exactly uh, what you would expect. He, he, he had expect. all this misogynistic bullshit on there. Um, in, so, uh, he, he's, he got booted out of the group. I um, saw <laughs> one, one thread once with, uh, your friend Natalie, where she was giving CPA advice and they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. And it's like, no, no, no. She like knows way more than you do. Yeah. So it, it's funny. Cause this, this story involved Natalie. Oh, of course um, I feel like for whatever reason, Natalie gets way more shit than almost probably anyone. because she is confident. Possibly. And, That's maybe and, that actually maybe. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> Cause she's confident. She, she actually knows her stuff. She knows, she knows her stuff. She's a huge expert. She's going to be on, um, on this podcast probably next month. I believe, um, Natalie is a tech professional in, is unbelievable. She's smarter than any other tax person that I know. Um, but that confidence rubs particularly misogynistic people the wrong way. Um, so she gets lo- lots of pushback online. Um, and it's always funny. It's like, and the people who it's never, and I've noticed this a lot on, I think this is true of men, the men who often give the, get the most mad of the men who don't know what they're talking about. Like, I think like most <laughs> Oh, hundred percent. Like a lot of men, like if they know what they're talking about, they respect other people know what they're talking about, whether or not they're women or not, they respect that you know what you're talking about. But it's always the idiots who are like the people who are giving women the hardest time. It's like, like it's a defense mechanism. Yeah. yeah. It's primal almost. It's like, you, yeah. you know, and it's a, uh, it's, it's Dunning Kruger syndrome. So it's actually a term for this, like the, and the internet has exploded this. So it's someone who knows a small piece of information about a particular subject suddenly thinks that they are a complete expert at the subject. Right. And so, we see the, this playing out across all different kinds of conversations on the internet and in the media. Are you right? telling me that if my research for vaccines was not? I didn't. I should do. I should not do my own research. You you might not know as much as a microbiologist, right? Really? Or, uh, 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 get you know a. I've been taking thirty what's the, years. What's the horse thing? I've been I've been taking it every day. Is that not a good idea? <laughs> I was gonna say you guys should see me at a hockey game. That's probably a perfect. 
perfect idea yeah. for that. <laughs> no, nothing, but I'm going to be well, like, I don't know if yeah. hockey either. Yeah. I don't know if I'm hockey either. But to put this back on you guys, what do you think, especially your moderator in bigger pockets, what do you think the role of other men in that situation is? Like, what do you think there's a certain obligation you have to kind of not maybe step in, but kind of set a standard and well, it's you funny. Banned, you banned the guy. I, I banned the guy. Um, Did in, you tell him why he was banned? Uh, we gave him a very good idea. We had decided to uh, suspend him prior to looking at his other social media profiles. Once we saw the other social media profiles, it became much more apparent. Like with that context, it became much more apparent why he was interacting with a female moderator. Suspended comma misogyny. Yeah. So, um, but that's a great point. Um, I, I do. And people who follow my social media probably know that I am particularly passionate about trying to use my privileged position to speak out for the people that are experiencing sexism, racism, um, and society in the marketplace and particularly in real estate, because this is the business that I'm in and where I have, some level of power to try to affect change. So I, I actually think we do have a, not that we have to be social justice warriors 24 hours a day, but Although I do you get think, pretty close to that, Russell. <laughs> I, I may be, <laughs> I may be accused of that on occasion, but uh, I do think that we have a ethical obligation to speak out um, when we see these things, particularly in the marketplace that we are operating in. But the one thing I've noticed, at least in real life, I feel like most people, I mean, this is not true. You might have a experience, but, are not as misogynistic in front of other people, whether it be women or men, as they're going to be in private. Hundred percent. Like, like I don't like one of the things I struggle with. Is I don't see men as being that misogynistic because it's rarely done in front of me. I think it's more done behind closed doors. I don't know if that's your been your experience. Well, I think to what you said earlier about Natalie being like an expert, his reaction probably came from was it her questioning him in some capacity? She or told him he was wrong, which he was. Yeah, right. So, like, she I was. feel like men who are misogynistic, their fear comes from being yeah. questioned and being embarrassed. Like that's the fear is from embarrassment, yeah. especially at the hands of a woman, you know, like yeah. there's no worse. Space. What's worse than that. So obviously in private, they're going to be more open about that. It's just that social media has sort of given um, a veil. Yeah. It's allowed people to come out from their dark hiding place. Right. So for, decades, those are people in their basement, racism and sexism existed in the world and the marketplace, but political correctness prevented them from voicing these terrible views that they have. And now with not only rise of social media, but sort of the rise of a certain faction of society, like now they can express misogynism, racism, um, you know, Fear of for people be, from other countries. For some people, it's been like a badge of honor, too. Yeah. People who like like trolling people. And like that's like a hobby of theirs. You know, we're into real estate. The people are into pissing people off. But the, Yeah. They've all found each other on the internet and given each other a voice. It's like, oh, now now I don't have to keep these oh. terrible beliefs I have hidden. So should we just get rid of the internet? <laughs> it, it would not be such a bad idea. Probably um, bad for your business. Maybe um, I always joke that like you should never read the comments on an article. <laughs> Um, it says a bigger the, pockets moderator whose yeah. job is to read all the comments. Yeah. People post. No, but people post nasty stuff on the most random things. Like people are just are inherently going to do that. Yeah. I would never go looking for comments on things, especially as a woman, because you're going to find something that either makes you angry or makes you pity the person who posts it. Like in that instance, and in most instances of misogyny like that, I just feel bad for the guy because it's obviously like, 
this is a cliche at this point, but it's obviously something going on with him yeah. in his own head about it's himself that is causing him to project those feelings onto, in this case, a very reputable person. It just looks silly. It's yeah. usually losers who are doing that. So if you're, if you're listening to this out there and you've definitely if you've experienced racism, sexism out in the marketplace, understand that you're not alone out there. Um, other people are doing it and other people are pushing th- pushing through the bullshit and still finding success. And yeah, you're going to have to deal with more bullshit than this middle-aged white guy does. But um, this business can still, still treat you well in the end. Um, You just have to deal with all this bullshit. Like Sarah's had to deal with and other people have. I've considered myself very lucky. I have not had to deal with half the stuff. And it's funny back to what you said about inaction Women, if you're listening to this, just go ahead and do it because look at Natalie. She's incredibly knowledgeable. She knows all of her stuff, and she's still taking crap on the internet. So you, you, you're damned if you do. I don't know. If, can I say that word? Yeah. You're damned if you do, and you're damned if you don't. So just do it because there's no protecting you from sucky people. So just – I'm not going to tell you to grow a backbone, but surround yourself with people who – especially men who are, you know, an ally for you who will – like Russell, kick them off, <laughs> kick them off of the platform. And, you know, just, it's all about the people. If you're surrounded by good people, then none of the rest of it matters because people are going to suck anyway. And the one nice thing about real estate that I like, at the end of the day, it is a numbers game, right? So if you can go out and be successful and prove that, hey, you're doing, making more money than most of the men, like, you know, at a certain point, or Natalie is more knowledgeable, like, it's going to speak for itself. But at it the end shouldn't of the day. have to be a comp. Like I, I say, it's maybe some women want like this sort of well, not revenge, but they want to like prove that they can do it anyway. Most women just want to run their business and not be bothered and do well. It's not about proving people wrong or doing making more money than men. The numbers are great. It's really great to see how well you're doing. But I think the motivation is just wanting to be able to live their life and not get shit for, for sure, it. For sure. <laughs> so. Um, Follow Sarah on uh, Instagram, Blonde Equity. Um, and as we expand our team in the Baltimore, if you're looking to buy or sell in Baltimore, um, reach out to Sarah. Uh, give them your email address too. Sure. It's sarah.frank at rlathome.com. Yep. So uh, we'll talk to you guys next week and looking forward to doing some business up in Baltimore with everyone. Thanks for listening to the DC Real Estate Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to contact the hosts, reach out to them at info at dcrealestatepodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you access your podcasts. Podcasts.